0: We are picking up in the book of Ephesians. We're two lessons into this so far. We're seeing that this is a book that is written about encouragement. The idea is that the body of Christ needs to be built up. If we see that anywhere, we see it today. The body of Christ needs to be built up. There needs to be more righteousness, more love, more purity, more help, more one another. And less individualizing, less pride, less selfishness, less conceit, much less pulling rank where we have no business doing so. For some reason, the world, and I think we all know what this reason is, desires to train us into a mindset that is perpetually down. Have you ever noticed that? How many of us really care a lot about what people think on Facebook? I mean, we really care. If you ever want to know if you do, just check how long your phone tells you you spend on Facebook, right? You were on there for 12 hours. We care a lot. Good grief. Do we care about what God says about us? I think one of the greatest things that we could do is we start looking through the book of Ephesians. And I mentioned this last week. is maybe take this little booklet here. And in the back page... Where you've got two things of lines. Create the last page to say, this is what God says is true about me. Because one of the greatest problems that we see, especially throughout the church, is that people are suffering from an identity crisis and they don't know who they are. If the first chapter of Ephesians tells us anything, it tells us that we are people of privilege. I thought it would be interesting to find out what does the dictionary have to say about the idea of privilege. Look at this definition. A right or immunity granted as a particular benefit, advantage, or favor? Let me ask you this. Have we been granted rights in Christ? Yes, we have. Are they of a benefit, advantage, and favor? Thank you, sir. You are a scholar. That's true. That's a great way to put it. You'll be so gracious as to give me a moment. I was worried about uh, worried about these uh, not making it. So praise the Lord for technology. All right, we're g- we have God. Okay, we're good. We have particular benefits. In Christ, we have a particular advantage in Christ. Sorry, peculiar, forgive me. Peculiar benefit. But notice the last one here that it says. Anybody know what another word for favor is? Close? Who said it? Grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor upon people who could never reciprocate or earn it. God just gives. And that's everything that the first chapter of Ephesians is about. Here's what God is giving you. Based on nothing to do with you. And everything to do with it, it could not have come to you except through the channel of His Son on the cross for you. Now that's great. And again, let me reiterate this. It takes pride out of the mix. Yeah, look at who I am in Christ. Nobody wants to see that. Okay? What it does is it cultivates worship in our lives. Why do we praise Him? Did He have to be so loving and so caring in that direction? No, but that's what makes it grace. And because He is gracious, that's what He chooses to do. But I love this last part here. Especially such a right or immunity attached specifically to a position or an office. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a position. And your position is in Christ. It is a privileged position. It is a glorious position. It's an exalted and lofty position. It is a position that in no way could we ever work or climb our way into being. We are simply jettisoned there by the blood of Christ and placed on solid ground at the moment that we have faith in Him. It's a reality that is. It's not a reality to be obtained. Is that clear? Okay. Now, some things that we've looked at so far. Paul, he's an apostle, a sent one of Christ Jesus. It was God's will to do so. And this is to the saints, the holy ones. (coughs) Excuse me. Those who at the moment that they believed in Christ were set apart for his purposes and his reasons. Ownership is changed. The world no longer has a claim on us, or at least shouldn't, because our receipt lies in the hands of another. Somebody has signed with blood the title deed to our existence. It is the Lord Himself. They're not only saints, but also those who are faithful, those who are actively pursuing Him in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he starts with worship. Bless. remember this idea is worship god worship him the god and father of our lord jesus christ why because he has blessed us already happened past tense we're calling all of this that we're looking at his already blessings we have this astounding undeserved station in christ of already blessings that have been heaped upon and we just have to deal with it guys I know that sounds kind of strange, but sometimes if we've grown up in a defeatist home, we think that we're deserving of nothing. And if that's the case, grace is difficult for us to accept. I found for a lot of Christians, grace is real easy to give. And let's be honest, we like getting the itch scratched, the grace itch. Makes us feel good to do those things for other people. You do something nice for somebody else, they start having spasms. It happens. It happens. We've got to get comfortable with that because God, by His very nature, has done the same thing for us. Why don't we get spasms about God's grace? Probably need to have some. Lord, give us some spasms about Your grace so that we would grasp it more fully. We worship Him because He has blessed us and notice every spiritual blessing, He left nothing out. Inadequacy is a lie. Incompleteness is a lie. The fact that we sometimes view ourselves as deteriorated or fragmented is a lie. Satan loves lies. And he can't do anything to God. So he tries to lay hold of the thinking of the ones that God loves. Try to tear them down. What has your father said is true. What does He say that matters? How does He feel about you? Now notice this. This is in heavenly places, the eternal realm. But the most important thing is the location that regardless if it's heavenly or if it's earthly, your location doesn't change. And that is the place of being in Christ. best real estate investment you'll ever have in your life. Now we start losing our minds when we come to verse 4. Just as is going to show us how God has blessed us. What do these spiritual blessings look like? And the first thing we see is that He, God, chose, we could even use this word because it's not going to hurt anybody, elected us. Trivia quiz. What is PIP? A personal, inclusive pronoun. And why is it important? Because Paul sees himself in this way in complete equality with every believer in Christ. Paul is an apostle. Sometimes we would say, good grief, if I could just live a life like Paul, if I could just have the faith of Paul, if I could just be like Paul. Paul sees us where he is because he sees us in Christ. And we all have equal lofty standing in Christ. So notice, he chose us. When did he, where did he choose us? Where were we when that happened? our location. Notice it doesn't say just as He chose us to be in Him. Does everybody see that it doesn't say that? If that were the case, we would say, well, what happened was is God saw a bunch of lost people, said, I'll take them, 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 them. Everybody else, I'm not taking. Or it communicates this idea. And sometimes people don't like this, but it's really what it says. Don't you get a feeling that the devil wants everybody? Okay. If this view of choosing is true, it tells you that the devil wants everybody, but God does not. I find that really hard to believe because he desires for all to come to a knowledge of the truth. He desires for all to be saved. Christ tasted death for every person, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. The Bible is incredibly clear that it is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, every person. So we cannot afford to take this one verse and look at this choosing as whether or not God decided who was going to go to heaven or hell. But what he does see is that for those who are in him, so we're going to say heaven bound here, he's got stuff. And to that I say amen. Because I don't know about you, I can get all the earthly stuff that might seem to make me happy, but it's only heavenly stuff that brings lasting joy. Heavenly stuff is what I need to know about. So notice, He chose us in Him. When did He make this decision? God decided that He was going to do this before the foundation of the world. Okay? This is the time of God's decision. Now that shouldn't surprise us. Because we actually see that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. Is this something that God purposed to do? Yes. Had it physically taken the place as an event before creation started? No. But because God decided it to be so, this was the direction it would go. Because Jesus Christ perfectly obeys the Father, it's going to happen. Everybody see that? How about this? The Father and the Son actually existed, along with the Holy Spirit, as the Trinity In a love relationship, John 17 tells us, before the foundation of the world ever started. See, that's the interesting thing. God didn't need creation in any way. He wanted creation, so he created. He's a loving, personal God, but he didn't need us because he already had fully satisfying relationships going on. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in persons, one in essence, existing perfectly before time ever began. Why even wind up the watch? Because he loves you. Because he wanted you. Because he thought that we were so worth creating. And so worth having a relationship that not only did he specifically make us and knit us in our mother's wounds, but he also sent his son to die to make salvation a possibility for every person. That's a lot. I don't know what to put on that. That's going to great lengths. So when we look at a verse and we're thinking about but God demonstrates his love and that even while we were sinners, rebellious, totally against him, evil in everything that we wanted to do, whether in heart or mind or deed, Christ died for us. And I don't know about you, but I would look at the passage and say, I wouldn't have done that. Ungrateful heathens. And why is that? Because let's be honest, you and I work on a performance scale. We work on a performance scale. And when we work on a performance scale, we don't work on a grace scale. Because grace doesn't care about what it gets in return. Grace is just concerned about doing the right thing up front, regardless. That's a difference maker of who God is. So before the foundation of the world is a time that He made this decision. <clears throat> now, anytime you see the idea of chosen chose, elect, or election, or elected anytime in the Bible. We always need to ask the question, to what? We know where we were when it happened. We know when God made the decision for it to happen. But the question is, what happened? Why did He choose us? You're chosen if you're a believer in Christ. But why? For what? Interesting. You remember last week, tried to make a case for the fact that we are chosen not to go to heaven or hell. But when we see this idea of being elected or chosen all throughout Scripture, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, we are constantly running into this theme of there is a task, a job, a responsibility, something that needs to take place, a ministry to be done as God has desired it to be accomplished. He's placed this responsibility into our hands. We're told that Paul wasn't chosen to go to heaven when he died, but Paul was chosen to be a minister to the Gentiles. That's what we're told. He had a responsibility to take place. We're told that Jesus was the chosen one of God, but that doesn't mean that now Jesus is going to heaven when he dies. Good grief, at least I hope I don't don't think so. I hope not. Trying to put those two things together. Got to be careful. But what was he chosen to do? Die for the sins of the world. He had a job that God gave him. A ministry, a task, a service to employ. What have we been chosen for? Notice this. That we would be. If you have the ESV translation, you're going to read should be. Now here's what's interesting about this. God has lofty hopes. God has something He wants to do. In fact, God goes to the lengths of supplying everything that we need for whatever He's asked us to be done to get done. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Yes? You have an advantage. Everybody see that? You can now do supernatural work because the supernatural God abides in you. So the supernatural can be done because he has gone the length that he needs to. And that's just one thing that we're picking out as an example here. In order to make an unreal life possible that matters in the hereafter. If we never come to terms with the fact that we can rely on Holy Spirit power in our life though, that type of supernatural ability will never take place. In other words, God can do and say all that is absolutely... And universally and celestially true about you and I. But if we never believe what he says about us is being true, it will never happen the way that he desires for it to go down. So unbelief stands as a block. What has happened? Here it is. Number one, that that we would be holy and blameless. Mark that. They're two separate things. That we would be holy and blameless. Sorry, let me take a drink of my joy juice and maybe I'll talk a little bit better. All right. Here we go. Holy and blameless. Now you say, wait a second. If I'm looking back at the beginning of the letter, didn't he already say he's writing to saints? Yeah, he's writing to saints, not ain'ts, right? Writing to saints. Some of you will catch that in a little bit. <coughs> Saved people. The word saint comes from the word holy. Set apart ones for God. We've already got that done. He's already speaking about a position that is irrevocable because it's in Christ. So he's talking to people who are already saved. So why would they be chosen in Christ, already redeemed, to be holy, set apart, and blameless? That means without any sort of spot or or, or uh, tarnish. Nothing tainted in the mix. Well, let's look at a little bit more of this, and then we're going to compare Scripture with Scripture. Notice that there's an interesting, I don't want to call it location because I don't want to confuse it. There's a point in time where this is going to matter. Because holy and blameless connected together, Stay circled, number one. What is wrong with you? Have something to do with this. Everybody see this? I'm going to hurt, number one. Okay. Good grief, man. The devil's in my machine. Um. Would be holy and blameless before him. Now let me remind you of something real quick. In the original documents, whenever Paul went to write this, verses 3 through 14, no punctuation, okay? It's like a first-grade nightmare, okay? Just on and on and on. The run-on sentence of all run-on sentences. So it's important for you to understand that in the original, that period is not there. It just keeps going, keeps going. And translators have struggled back and forth about if we're going to translate this in English, we've got to use punctuation. Where do we put it? Do we include in love with what's going on in the concept in verse four, or do we make in love the concept that we're going to see next week in verse five? How do we how do we pair this off? And so here's the decision that seems was made. They decided that they would put a period after before him, but include in love in the previous verse. That's a way you just knock out two birds with one stone, right? Doesn't really help us much. But knowing that there's no punctuation is important because of what we see in other scriptures. Here's the idea, holy and blameless. Let's break this down real quick if you want to just take some notes on this. Number one, we need to understand the word holy. What exactly does it mean in some of the best lexicons that we would see? It's the Greek word, hagios. It's an adjective. Being dedicated or consecrated to the service of God. The idea of being set apart. Or, it's used as a pure substantive, such as a holy thing or a holy person. (coughs) The example would be that which is holy or the holy one. It's found 222 times in the New Testament, and Paul uses it 15 times in just this letter alone. Now, you say, why in the world would I want to know or care about that? Because the more that we understand how an author uses a word, the more familiar that we can get with what he means by the context surrounding the usage of it. I can tell you what holy means all day long. But until you hear it in a sentence, in a paragraph, as a complete thought, we'll never get it. So Paul uses this word as the Holy Spirit, as in something that is set apart or something that would be considered sacred. And he also uses it for the idea of talking about saints, which are just believers in Christ. Now, if we move on to the word blameless, understanding the word blameless, this is amamos, Okay. And the idea of this is pertaining to being without a defect or a blemish. Sometimes this was used in connection with a lamb that would be sacrificed. Pertaining to being without fault and therefore morally blameless. Let me ask you a question. Do you have to be morally blameless in order for God to accept you? No. We're accepted because we're where? What's the location? In Christ. In other words, our position is set and secure. But our practice throughout life, let's be honest, could morally be a little bit better. Anybody not needing any moral improvement? I expected no less. That's great. Okay. Now, here's what's interesting. This word is a little bit easier to nail down. And the reason is, is because it's only used eight times in the entire New Testament. And Paul uses it four times, twice in this book. Now, that should immediately make your theology Scooby-Doo ears go, huh? Okay, And you want to perk up and pay attention to that because if I've only got a little bit of track record to work with, he only uses it four times, and two of them we're finding in the book that we're studying, we begin to nail down exactly what in the world does this passage mean. So what does Paul mean in Ephesians 1.4? Two important things. Number one, as always, context must determine the meaning. Number two, use Scripture to compare with Scripture. Some of you are wondering why I pass out these bookmarks, but I haven't really talked a lot about them. They're for you to use in personal Bible study, but one of the things we're going to do is, is we're going to sit here and go through the expanse. We're asking about cross-references. We're asking about Scripture interpreting Scripture. We're asking about references of words, themes, personalities, and how they all fit together. That's what we're going to look at. So how do we understand this idea of what it is to be holy and blameless before Him, period, In love, maybe that's how the punctuation goes. How do we deal with something like that? Holy and blameless in the New Testament. Take your Bible and just turn over a couple of pages maybe to Ephesians 5. We now move from the positional section of Ephesians, the doctrinal section, chapters 1, 2, and 3, into the practical section. How do you apply all of this good stuff that you learned? God's done this. Now what do we do in response? Well, now we're in chapter 5. wives always love this passage. They do. Because finally, their guys shape up for about a day and a half. It's really great. Look at Ephesians 5. I kid, I kid. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church in the exact same way that He loved her. Now, I'm not going to preach on these sections, but please get the weight of this, okay? Watch it. And gave himself up for her. So that. Everybody see so that in 26. If you have a pen. You want to take a good note here. You don't mind writing in your Bible. Write in all caps reason. Here's the reason why. Not just husbands should love their wives. Why Christ gave himself up in that way. And that models of love. What's going to come out of that? What's it going to look like in the marriage relationship? What's it going to look like in Christ's relationship with the church? Verse 26 so that he might sanctify her. Anybody know what the word sanctify? Set apart. It's a cousin of holy. Right? The idea is, he died for her to set her apart. Well, wouldn't that kind of be what we're relating to in Ephesians 1 when we talked about saints when he addressed them? You set apart people. Whenever Paul opened that letter, was he worried about how they were mortally doing at that moment? He was not. But he was stating a fact of their position in Christ. They are set apart people. Now watch this. Watch how it moves forward. He says here that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Now pause for a second. Because we immediately think, yeah, people have to hear the Word of God and get saved. Time out. This is not the word logos for word. This is a word, the other word for word, called rhema. Let me give it to you real quick so that you know what it is. Rema, okay? Not logos. It's rhema. R-H-E-M-A. And you need to know that. Why? Because logos is going to speak about something that has been uh, written down for us a principle of life, a communication in some way. But rhema emphasizes the idea of spoken truth. In other words, it is audible Scripture. It is speaking out loud. What Paul's saying here is that when the Word of God is spoken out loud amongst the body of Christ, amongst the husband and wife relationship, it has a cleansing and washing effect. Some of our marriages need a bath. And the word of God is the only Irish spring that's going to get the job done. That's what it's getting at. So we're talking about audibly speaking this out loud. It is manifesting it through speech because there's power in the spoken word of God. Now watch how this moves forward. That he might, here it is, present to himself. Everybody see that? Chosen they may be holy and blameless before him. Present himself. Time out. Why would Jesus Christ wash his bride to present her to himself? Isn't she already his? Why'd he get her all gussied up for that day? Because it's a future time. It's a future presentation. Not only have we been chosen in him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him for a reason. But right here, the washing of the water prepares that person for a presentation before Him that He might present to Himself, watch this, the church, in all of her glory, all that she could have possibly attained, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Now let me ask you a question, church. Let's say that there are bodies of believers who refuse to take a bath with the Word of God. Are they going to be presented before the Lord as holy and blameless if they are not using the soap that they've been provided? No. Jesus is not into stinky girls. He's not. Stinky brides don't cut it. And He has given us the... If I can keep your attention, I will. I don't care, okay? Okay. (laughs) and He's given us exactly what we need in order to make the desired end a reality. This has got to be spoken to the body of Christ to have a cleansing and setting apart effect so when the opportunity comes to stand before your divine husband, He sees you as radiant brilliance in His sight. That's a worthy, lofty calling. A presentation, holy and blameless. Look at this one. Turn over to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. I promise you I'm not going to preach on this one. Philippians two fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. 16. Look what it says. Do all things... Without grumbling or disputing. I saw some of you squirm. See, I don't need to preach it. You know, right? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So that, uh uh-oh, stop. There's a reason. Why would I not want to do that, Paul? Please tell me. So that you will prove yourselves. And that word prove there means to come into being. That you will come into being yourselves. To be, here it is, blameless and innocent. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Paul uses this word, English translated blameless, but it's a different word in the Greek that actually means faultless. No fault to be found. That you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God, and here it is, our same word used as blameless in Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 1. Amamos, here it is, above Reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast, notice the integral part, the soap of life. And I said that to get your attention. Everybody see that the word is integral to this idea. Holding fast the word of life so that, here's another reason, in the day of Christ, when you are presented before Him, when he comes again for us, we also call this the rapture. But when we're taken off of this earth and we now have an appearance before him, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. Why? Because he spent all this time investing the spoken word in them and they actually listen. They actually listen. If you're parenting, you know my struggle. Man, it kills me. I'm such a terrible parent because my kids won't listen. Hopefully you see the humor in that. But think about what it's saying. Because the Word was made available, because the abstaining from grumbling and complaining took place, and the holding fast to the Word replaced that there is now this setup that is enacted and this idea of being above reproach in the day of Christ. It's a big deal. Here's one that paints it a little bit clear: Colossians. And notice Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. This is something that was heavy on Paul's mind and heart when he was writing these prison epistles. Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, that is your pre-Christ condition. You're lost, not having the Holy Spirit, destined for the lake of fire position. Already judged because you do not believe. Here it is, verse 22. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, the death of Jesus, In order to, what reason did He do that? Pay attention. In order to present you before Him. How? Here it is. Holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Everybody see it? The desired goal is a presentation before the Lord to be holy and to be, there's our word again, amamos, blameless and beyond reproach. Verse 23 scares the pants off of a lot of people. If, indeed, stop, if, there's a contingency there, it's a choice. If something goes a certain way, here's the desired end you can expect. You will be presented before him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, not falling away, not shrinking back, not giving up the race. Not passing off and saying, I'm done with this whole Jesus thing. No. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. He died to reconcile you to God, to bring you back into the relationship that you always should have had, From your very inception to begin with. But because of sin, it is ripped that in two. Well, guess what? Jesus comes in and heals it unmistakably in God's sight. But the question is, is to be presented holy and blameless before Him and above reproach. Will you persist in the faith? Will you keep on keeping on? Are you saying if I don't believe, I'm going to the lake of fire? No. No. I'm saying if you don't believe, you will still be present before him at a future time. But you will not be holy, you will not be blameless, and you will not be above reproach. There will be fault on our earthly record for how we lived in light of the Lord's grace. And if we think that the Lord's grace is commonplace, if we think that it's something to be abused or taken advantage of, I've just got my my get into hell free ticket punched so I'm good you do get into hell for free but that doesn't mean you can do anything you want and not have consequences and ramifications the choices that we make as Christians have consequences both now and in eternity and I can't think of anything worse than standing before my Lord going yeah you're right I totally loved myself to the uttermost when you loved me to the uttermost Jesus, I don't don't want anything to do with what you have for my life. You don't understand. My sin is too precious. Have I seen Lord of the Rings? This is why it's so creepy. That he loves this ring. That ring represents power. It represents influence in a limited realm. In all hope, drive, and desire. It's about caring for that ring. And he calls it, and Tolkien was brilliant when he wrote this, the precious the sin we can't do without. And if you've seen the second one, Two Towers, you, start, you see the beginning scene It starts out of what Smeagol looked like before he got a hold of the ring. Same guy. But he was having a good hair day that day. <whistles> Deteriorated quickly. He even went from wearing full clothes to a loincloth. What's wrong with that man? Sin took over. I'm not going to draw that conclusion. Use your imagination. Saying if I hold on to my sin, I'm going to end up in loincloth? Probably. Move on. <coughs> the idea is to be presented before him, holy and blameless and above reproach. A last one here, First Thessalonians. Again, all these are Scripture with Scripture written by the same author, so we're getting a good continuity of his thinking. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Take a look here. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love Pay attention to that, please. To increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. Verse 13, so that, here's your reason. You ready? He's going to tell you why this is so important to be abounding in this love. So that he may establish your hearts without blame. Back in Philippians 2.15, it's the word that we saw that was used as blameless. It could be translated faultless, okay? That he wants to establish your hearts without blame in holiness, familiar term, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints, with all his holy ones. And I actually believe that to be also angels, When he comes back with his angels to receive the church off of the world. How will you be found before him? He chose us to do something. He has an intended end in mind. A goal to be accomplished. And how are we doing on that goal? And we see over and over what needs to be had. Holy, blameless, above reproach. When you come before him, when you're presented before him, on the day when God brings you before his presence, will you be found in that way? So, what do we do? Notice the idea is that we would be holy, oh, good grief, set apart, blameless. without spot before Him. Get rid of that. He's not talking to lost people how they get saved or how God saved them. He's talking to saved people about how they get saved. Paul's telling us saved people need to get saved. That's what he's saying. thought they were already saved. They are. They need to get saved again. Why are you saying that? Does that mean they're not going to heaven? No. Here's what I'm saying is, is, that when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved from the penalty of sin, and that's death. Certain death in the lake of fire forever separated from God. That's horrible. Praise the Lord Jesus that he gave and died for us. And so now, when we hear the gospel and believe, we're put into a position of righteousness As apart from that. But how we live our daily lives is a completely different story from our new position in Christ. I've sometimes told you, my best friend years ago, when he came to Christ, first thing he did to celebrate was he smoked weed. He didn't know what to do. That sounds insane to me. Some of you might say, well, then he wasn't really saved if he did that. If he's two hours old, I think he's okay. Have some grace, man. He needs to grow. I don't see anybody bringing babies in here being like, walk, you dummy, walk. You can't do that to the body of Christ either. And we as Christians cannot afford to beat the children of God because they're not shaping up in that way. We all need to grow into this. But understand, because we're being taught this fact, we're now aware, responsible, and accountable. We need to understand that while we're saved from the penalty of sin, God desires to save us daily from the power of sin that tries to overcome our lives. Every day I need to be getting saved because every day I do what I want to do and what my foolish heart wants to do rather than what God's Word has called me to do. If I'm not obeying God's Word, you can't call that love. Jesus makes it very clear. But you don't understand the relationship or the affection I have here. I'm not worried about the feelings whatsoever. What I'm worried about is how truth has taken root in our decision-making So that our character is conformed to the image of Christ. That's what I'm worried about. And then that's what he's worried about. God has a task for the church to set them apart because they're already his in Christ for an intended end to be absolutely set apart and without spot or wrinkle coming to a place called the judgment seat of Christ where we will all give an account for what we've done in the body, whether it is good or whether it is bad, in our love in this lifetime. I believe at the end of this doesn't need a period. If we need a period anywhere, we need it right here. Why do we say that? Because love is mentioned an incredible amount of times in this book. Uh, Let me see here. 3.17, 4.2, 4.15, 4.16 five two and those are just the instances that have to do with us loving one another not to mention all the instances that are put forward as loving of god now this shouldn't be any different for us to understand john chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 a new commandment i give to you right he's speaking to the 11 judas is already gone agreed to betray him love one another as i have loved you because the whole world is going to know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Did that end with those guys? I don't think so. I think it matters for us. In fact, I think it is the rule of life and living to be operating in love. I think if there's any place where we should feel overcome with falling short in our daily lives, it is because we are becoming acutely aware of a lack of love For our brothers and our sisters, for our kids or for our spouses, regardless of who it is. Why? Because God died to secure better. He died to secure so much more. Let me give you an example of what this looks like in the body of Christ. First Peter 122. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to write it down, but watch. Since you have an obedience to the truth, that's a love situation. Purified your souls. For a sincere love, what is your soul, your mind, will, emotions? He's not talking about our spirits being purified, going to heaven when we die. That's not his goal here. You've purified, you've cleansed your mind, will, and emotions for a sincere love because you cannot have a sincere God-ordained, God-approved love for a brother and sister of Christ, if it's not pure in that way, a sincere love of the brethren, saved people, fervently love one another from the heart. You say, good grief, why can't Peter just be satisfied with the first part? Why can't he just stop and say, you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love for Christians? We say, Yay! We've arrived. Peter says, no. Is it fervent? Anybody know what the word fervent means? Fervent. I can barely say it. Do we know what it means? The idea of fire. It's not just the idea of fire. That's very much present. You ever seen those, uh, what is that show where they make swords? All these guys out there like sword making competitions are ding ding. What is it? Forged in fire. Yeah. Roar, right. Where people crack a cold one and act like they're somebody. It's weird. Anyway. Forged in fire. And if you notice, in order to mold that metal, they gotta get it red hot, yes? When we talk about the idea of being fervent, it gets to the idea of what it means to be white hot. Be white hot in your love for one another. Man, it's really good that you've purified your mind and your will and your emotions. That's a good thing because you're loving one another. And boy, if the body of Christ needs to be characterized by anything, it needs to be characterized by love because their founder did everything he did in love. For God's so, yes, even the motivation to get us with him was because of that love. But good gravy, Peter says, go for it, man don't give up you may love that person but is your love white hot for them well they're just kind of like a green love person and i can't do that i love that peter doesn't give a condition on this don't love them white hot if you find them particularly lovable love them white hot for a greater reason what is that look For, oh my gosh, somebody dazzle my my mind and tell me what for is. Who said it? Who said it? Say it. Causal conjunction. I will get you an Arby's roast beef sandwich later. That's great. It is a causal conjunction. Here is the reason why you ought to white hot love your brothers and sisters in Christ and not just be okay with the soul type of love with them. Here it is. You have been born again. Nobody's impressed by that. Why? Sorry. You were going to consciously burn in torment in hell forever and ever and ever where there's fire and brimstone with no hope in the world whatsoever if God didn't get in there and do something. And so God said, you're helpless and you can't help yourself. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to take care of the entire problem. Not just to get you through the door, but to bring you into the kitchen table so you can sit down and have a regular conversation with me all of the time. And you don't have to do anything but accept what I've done. You've been born again. A brand new life. That old life is gone. The old life is gone. Well, how come the sins keep bothering me? Because you're either dealing with consequences from the old life Or somehow you think it's still got to say at the table. But it doesn't. It's not welcome. And it was buried when Christ was buried. And the reason why he was resurrected is because he was resurrected to a brand new life. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And so now being born again, why should I white hot love you? And why should you white hot love me? Because we've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, here today, gone tomorrow. Paul saying, or sorry, Peter saying this was a big deal. It was a big deal for what God did in order to make you able to white hot love one another. It's perishable, but imperishable seed. It will never die. You were born again in such a way as to where you'll never die. You know what we call that? Eternal life. Forever life. Never to be lost again. Never to be forfeited even by the person that holds it. We are in Christ's hand. We are in God's hand. And no one can let us go. They cannot pry us away. That is, watch the catalyst. Anytime I see the word through in my Bible, I do this. Going through something. Through the living and enduring. Word of God. In other words, because God has spoken and you've heard that word and you trusted that word, you have now been imperishably born again into a forever situation that completely draws a barrier from you ever being introduced to the lake of fire in your life. It will never happen. In other words, because of the incredibly supernatural celestial grace that has been shown to me, My reasons for white, hot, loving you don't have to be found in you. They have to be found in God's love for me. Everybody see that? It is reflecting upon the basics. Let's not get bored of the basics, people, please. It's by reflecting on those basics that get the hamster wheel running. In order for me to look past imperfection. And hopefully you will look past mine. And love me with the supernatural love as I seek to love you with a supernatural love because we have been loved with a supernatural love. That is God's desire for the church. God's desire for the church is that while we have believed in Christ and we are put in Him in a brand new location, He now wants to take us and set us in a position to where we will come out on the end when we stand before Him and we give a presentation of our lives A life review as a Christian. We can actually be found before Him to have been set apart in such a way and have been polished off. No spot, no wrinkle, nothing. In such a way as to where our love for one another was exceedingly glorious. Now God has set up everything to make that a possibility. But if we never believe that, we never embrace that. Especially if we don't teach that. It will never be a reality now. And it will end up in a negative assessment in the future. What are some applications we can pull from this? Number one, God has a mission for those who are in Christ. If you're in Christ, I'll reiterate this again. I think this is my point last week too. God has something for us to do. If you're a believer, you're useful. You're useful to the master. He wants to take you and do glorious things with you. I don't feel very glorious. I hate my job. That's okay. God can do glorious things even though you hate your job. Guess where God's going to do those glorious things? At your job. Why? Because God has the greatest sense of humor I've ever seen in my life. Here's another thing. Spotless and fault-free love are now possible in Christ. No other way. No other way. It is not mustering up the ability to try to tolerate someone and count that in the love category. It is reflecting back upon the born-again status that I graciously have in my stead because of all that Jesus did. It causes love to radiate through me to other people. It's possible now. It wasn't before. Such living prepares us for the day when we will stand in Jesus' presence. There is a day. Make no mistake about it. The Bible talks all about it everywhere. We just got done talking about it in Sunday school class. There's a day when every believer in Christ will be presented before the Lord. Understand, it's not a day of condemnation. It's a day of commendation. I'll go ahead and give you an answer. I'll, I'll give you all the answers to the pop quiz. Are you ready? It's never about trying. It's always about trusting. It's always about believing what God has said. But understand this. Until we begin believing about what God has said about us, we will not never start living the way that God has desired for us to live, that He chose us to live. We have got to start believing what He says about us. We've got to get right in our God esteem and get rid of our self-esteem. What everybody else thinks, and I'll go ahead and say this, I know this sounds weird, but just go with me on it. What you think about yourself is not as important as what you think it is. If our thinking was that perfect about ourselves, really? You guys know what I think about myself throughout a given week? Good gravy. Praise God that He knows and thinks better of me. Jim, You are correct. Everybody here, Jim? We need to be saved daily. I'm already going to heaven when I die. That's locked up and done. Eternal life is a done deal. I'm forgiven of all sin in God's sight. But let's not pretend for a moment that we don't struggle with sin throughout the day. You're getting ready to leave here. I promise a struggle with sin is somewhere if you're not struggling with it now. Christ didn't just reconcile me to God. He desires to cleanse me by His Word. Moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour. I need Thee every second. Yes! Let's change the words. Let's buy the hymn and change the words, man. Because it's the truth. There's a day when we're going to come before Him. And he's going to review our life. And he is going to set up all the good works that he prepared beforehand that we as members of Grace Bible Church should have done. And the reason why I say it that way is because Ephesians 2.10 is written to the corporate church, not individuals. So I have a feeling we're going to stand as a church one day. This is why Paul says, I'm glad you guys listened to me so I didn't run in vain. Meditate on that. Here's the review of what I had for Grace Bible Church to do. You realize some churches are going to come up to the plate? Here's what you did. You smiled at that visitor. You know what? When that visitor came in and they didn't know where to set their things and they set them in your seat, you gave up your your, your Baptist identity for a moment and you moved somewhere else. Thank you for being a kind soul. Thank you that you didn't take their stuff and move it somewhere else where now they don't know where they're sitting at a brand new church. Can you imagine that? That's just simple Christian brother and sister courtesy and love, man. It is. I'm to run out of time. Obedience to Jesus' word demonstrates our love. Affections and feeling are not wrong understand that. They're not wrong. But I would much rather have an affection and a feeling that is springing from truth and acting rather than a liver quiver that takes place. Agape, selfless love, opportunities are rare when availability is limited. Or let me say it this way. If we're not taking the time to show up In the lives that God has put before us, you never have time to exercise that self with love. Some people like to be saved and stuck. I'll just come to Christ and then become a hermit. I promise you, there's not much love going on in those monasteries. There's not. Because it's about isolation, it's about quiet, it's about I'm just alone with the Lord. Well, the Lord said, if you walk in the light, you have fellowship with one another. So that means getting together is a big deal. Does that means spending time with brothers and sisters in Christ? A big deal. That means that trying to demonstrate that agape love in your family is a big deal. Why? Because your family is your first ministry. Otherwise, God wouldn't have given you one. Pouring into them first. And then hopefully by... God allowing you to fill up that cup, it's pouring over onto others. We've got to be available to make that happen. Pray. Father, just think about the words written on this page. Just every spiritual blessing is a marvelous thought. But you've set an incredible bar ahead of us. We might even feel a little bit of intimidation right now, but I pray God you would reassure our hearts that you're able to set the bar in that way because we're in Christ. We're not doing it alone. It certainly does not rest upon us. But what it is, is it's your gracious, open-handed invitation to a deeper life. You desire for us to show up prepared, prepared with all that you've given us, to not have cast it away or shipwrecked our faith, dropped out of the race, but instead you have wells that never run dry. And you call us to continually drink from those. Father, too often we drink at the world's water. And we're poisoning ourselves slowly. Lord, we can only find satisfaction through all that you've made available. And you made it available in your Son. And we are in your Son. And so the only thing that is keeping us from appropriating these things and revealing Christ in our lives is either ignorance of those facts or unbelief. Thank You for making us holy and blameless before You in Christ. But you know, especially my daily practice, and even the wicked words that can come out of my mouth, the wicked tone that I can use, where the overflow of my heart could even be hurtful. Where left up to my own devices, I can cause a great deal of pain. Maybe it's a struggle that we have with anger. Maybe it's that we've invested our eyes into filth. Maybe it's that we think that we know every nook and cranny, that no one can tell us otherwise, that our pride runs a show. Or maybe it's that we're so busy that You're not where You desire to be in our lives. All of these things can be brought to the cross now. All of these things have already been paid for in full by our Lord. By simply confessing them to You, You've promised to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, even those places where we don't know that offense has been had. That's just the magnitude of the mercy of our Savior. So Lord, I praise You that You do love us to the uttermost. That You do desire to have Your life fulfilled in ours. That You do desire to stir in us a fervent, white-hot Christ love for one another. That You desire to keep our born-again position on our minds all the time so that we will then operate according to that truth. Lord, how I need my mind changed. How I need my heart changed. How I need to get saved today. So Lord, wherever the Holy Spirit needs to do work in us, pray Lord that we would open our hands to let Him do what He needs to do and to lead us in the path that we need to go. So that when we're presented before You, it is a time that we look to with anticipation and hunger. We don't recoil in regret. Thank You, God, for how You love us. It is in Jesus' name. Amen.